Welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. Right? Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports. I am back. Sorry for the week off. Was in Mesquite trying to change the lives of the children, but now I am back ready to rock and roll about what's going down, what's happening in the world of sports. Super Bowl 54 in the NFL season is now in the books. It is now over. I am glad that it is over. I have exhausted myself on football. I need a little bit of a break. It's nice to have my weekends back, all of those type of things. Yes, I'm still going to be talking about the sport. Yes, there's still some other things about football that we're going to be talking about during the offseason, but thank hallelujah, I now have my Sundays off to do, I don't know, leave the house, do something other than watch football, do something other than watching sports on a Sunday, unless I'm going to be watching some NBA action. So, Fantastic. So Super Bowl 54, Kansas City won their first championship since 1970. Patrick Mahomes, my Mahome, led the Chiefs to 21 straight points in the final six minutes and 13 seconds of the game for a 31-20 victory over the San Francisco 49ers last Sunday. Kansas City now becomes the first team in NFL history to win three, not one, not two, but three games in a single postseason where they trailed by 10 points, 10 or more points. Remember, in the divisional round, they trailed uh, Houston, the Houston Texans, 24-0, and everybody was sitting there talking about, oh boy, Andy Reid and the under- underachieving Kansas City Chiefs, here we go again. Well, they blew them out very quickly, and then in the conference championships, they were down to Tennessee, 17-7. Oh boy, the miracle season, the Cinderella Tennessee Titans are going to be moving on to the Super Bowl, not so fast. Tennessee faltered under the offensive acumen in the devastation which is the Patrick Mahomes like Kansas City offense so they're they were done and then in the Super Bowl down 20 to 10 oh boy San Francisco this that and the other no sorry Kansas City came back and won the game can we now say that Patrick Mahomes is the unquestioned leader of the new school of the quarterbacks that you're speaking about guys like Sam Darnold and Deshaun Watson and Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson and all of these young cats coming into the league Can we now say that without question, Patrick Mahomes is the guy? No, 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 no. In fact, let's say this, man. Let's even move it fast forward. After this victory, after now Mahomes achieving winning his first Super Bowl championship, the big game that he won, can we now say that Patrick Mahomes is the face of the league? He is what the NFL is going to be throwing in front of people's faces who are trying to get acclimated to the game, who are trying to learn the game, who are trying to come back to the game. Maybe they went away because of the Colin Kaepernick situation. Maybe they were turned off because of CTE. Maybe Roger Goodell did something or said something that uh, pissed off a lot of people or pissed you off in terms of not having you become a football fan again. Is the rise, the ascension, and now the conquering hero, which is now Patrick Mahomes in in terms of his spot being at the top of the heap, shall we say, if I can use that cliche, of being the face of the league. Is this the guy now that's going to bring you back to wanting to watch football? The casual NFL fan back to now being a passionate football fan. I know it's 
I know gambling has something to do with it. I know fantasy football has something to do with it. But players, players, players play a large part. And people were starting to get a little bit sick and tired of the dynasty known as the New England Patriots. I know those in the Boston, Massachusetts area wasn't too bored about what the Patriots were doing in terms of their dynasty is concerned. But the NFL is always going to have the Cowboys. The NFL is always going to have the Steelers. The NFL is always going to have the Green Bay Packers. They're going to have those historical teams where they can always know that they're going to get an audience, a decent audience when it comes to NFL football game because of the pageantry and the historical and just the way football and the NFL is just inundated with our everyday lives for the average sports person. But now moving forward, we have this young, fresh kid, Patrick Mahomes, in his third year in the league, second year as a starter. Forget, man, forget Drew Brees. Forget Tom Brady. Forget Drew Roethlisberger. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger. Forget all those guys, man. Forget Aaron Rodgers. Forget all those guys that were the, that were the creme de la creme when it came to the NFL in the quarterback position, the most, most glamorous position, not maybe in just football, but also in sports. Patrick Mahomes is that guy now. Maybe in a couple of years, he'll be followed by Deshaun Watson or a Lamar Jackson or a Baker Mayfield or maybe a, a Joe Burrow or Tua Tungabailoa. But as for right now, heading into the 2021 season, regardless of what happens with the decision Drew Brees is going to make about playing the re decision that Tom Brady is going to be making whether he's going to stay with New England or go somewhere else. The story now in terms of the number one star, the Denzel Washington, the Tom Hanks, the Michael Douglas, the Morgan Freeman, the Leonardo DiCaprio, the leading man for the NFL is now Patrick Mahomes against the San Francisco 49ers. He went 24, excuse me, 26 of 42. 286 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. And it's interesting because, man, didn't you remember Lamar Jackson in the loss to the Tennessee Titans? He went from being the glamour boy. He went from in the regular season, this guy's going to change the world. This guy's going to change the way that we play quarterback. This guy is a phenomenon. A guy with the MVP, deservedly so. Ran for over 1,000 yards, passed for over 3,500 yards. Patrick Mahomes, who? He was injured. He's not mobile like Lamar. He doesn't have the X factor like Lamar. He doesn't have that wow factor like Lamar from a athletic standpoint. And in just one game, one game where Lamar wasn't terrible. This wasn't the guy who acted like Josh Allen in the fourth quarter of the game against Houston. This was a guy in terms of Lamar Jackson who did play average against the Tennessee Titans, but he didn't stink up the joint. Guess what happened? You heard it all on Twitter. Now there's the new fodder. There's the new conversation points. Oh, well, Lamar Jackson. And now, now you know why he was drafted late in the first round. Oh, that Lamar Jackson, you know, maybe he is a uh, Cordell Stewart type in terms of he doesn't need to be a, uh, a quarterback full time. And a running quarterback can't make it in the league. And he'll never make it during playoff time. One game. One game changed the narrative about Lamar Jackson from going to change the game for the better to all of a sudden he needs to now be switching positions. And this is the reason why everybody was saying that he should, he should have been a wide receiver and not a quarterback. Well, Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl, he went from being overrated and not ready for prime time. All of this stuff that I'm talking about, him being the face of the league, him being the leader of the new school, him being the elite quarterback in the NFL with about, I don't know, 8.53 left to go in the game. Patrick Mahomes was so, 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 so far away from that narrative that it wasn't even funny. 
He went from being the most overrated, not ready for time prime player of this season to the new face of the league, nine minutes of game time. Nine minutes of game time in the fourth quarter is all it took. Because with 8.53 left to go in the game, San Francisco was winning 20-10. Mahomes was 18 for 29, 172 yards. He threw no touchdowns. He had two bad interceptions. One to Tyreek Hill, threw it behind him. That was intercepted. Then he made a bad read, which was an interception. And it was like, uh-oh, here we go. Jimmy Garoppolo, of all people, through through um, three quarters, is out playing the, the chosen one. Well, they went to that fourth quarter, and they got down to that third and 15 with 7.13 left to go in the fourth quarter with the Chiefs losing 20-10. to 10. And then when Mahomes hit Tyreek Hill for that 44-yard bomb on third and 15 to get the ball down to the San Francisco 35-yard line, and then on third and 10 at the San Francisco 21 with four in the fourth quarter with 6.23 left to go, a defensive pass interference. Face guarding brought the ball down to the one-yard line, and then on third and goal, third and goal, Mahomes hit Travis Kelsey to bring the lead to 20-17. to You said, here we go. Here we go. The San Francisco 49ers did a great job in bottling up Mahomes for most of the game. He he didn't have any electrifying plays. He didn't have any, like, draw-dropping plays. A lot of his passes, a lot of his completions through three and a half quarters were mainly of the check-down variety. The San Francisco 49ers were holding the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes in check until that third down and 15 play in the fourth quarter with 7.13 left to go. And with that touchdown by Travis Kelsey made the score 20-17, to 17, you said, here we go, here we go. So San Francisco went three and out. It took a minute and three off the clock after a five-yard run. San Francisco had two incomplete passes. I'll talk about that a little bit later when people are talking about Kyle Shanahan can't get it done and he's a choker and all these other things. I'll give you my thoughts and comments about that a little bit later on in the podcast. But... Kansas City got the ball back. The key play to the winning scoring drive was on that second and seven ball at the San Francisco 48, 344 left to go in the fourth quarter. Mahomes passed to Sammy Watkins for 38 yards, bringing the ball down to the San Francisco 10. And you knew that at the very least that the 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs were going to be tied at 20, at the very least. And it was also a situation then when that pass was completed on Richard Sherman, of all people. So when Watkins caught that ball, ran out of bounds at the 10-yard line, now you start to think to yourself, okay, is Kansas City going to score too quickly for their own good and have San Francisco and Jimmy Garoppolo have plenty of time, two-minute warning, full complement of timeouts to uh, get the ball in a scoring position and a scoring touchdown. If they score with decent enough time for San Francisco to do something, it's not like San Francisco can milk the clock and kick a field goal. They're going to have to score a touchdown. So that was the thought. That was the thought process going on right there. At the very least, for Kansas City, we're going to have a tie football game. At the very best, we're going to have Kansas City lead this game, but still have some time for Garoppolo and San Francisco to try to do some things. So with 2.44 left to go in the game, third down and goal at the San Francisco 5, Damian Williams, who what many people thought should have been the game's MVP, whatever, man, you know you're going to give it to the quarterback, you know in a situation situation like this, and I know the league doesn't choose who the MVP is, I know it's the writers, but in a situation like this, it was only natural for them to give the MVP to Patrick Mahomes, but on third and goal from the San Francisco 5, 244 left to go in the game, Damian Williams 
caught a TD pass from Mahomes for the game-winning score. So in 12 offensive plays, in four minutes of having those two scoring drives combined, again, Patrick Mahomes went from being the GOAT of the Super Bowl, maybe start having conversations about is he's going to be this generation's De uh, Joe uh, uh, Dan Marino in terms of gaudy numbers, unbelievable numbers, especially at a young age, but never had the opportunity to win that Super Bowl. Are we going to start that narrative? Well, he flipped the script in just 12 offensive plays. He went from trailing 20 to 10 to leading 24 to 20 again in just four minutes combined. So Kansas City became the first team in Super Bowl history, scoring 20 on points in the fourth quarter on offense and finished the season 5-0 when they were trailing by double digits. There you go. Your world champion, San Francisco 49ers. Nope, it is the Kansas City Chiefs. Here on Wendell World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. You know one thing? I'm very happy for Andy Reid. I really am. I always like to say that and when I talk about Andy Reid and when I talk about his career accomplishments, I almost kind of like to draw the similarities between him and Hank Aaron. And I'll tell you the reason why. I'm, I'm telling you the reason why I'm saying Hank Aaron, the all-time, the second-leading uh, home run hitter in baseball. Sorry, guys. Barry Bonds is the first. Sorry! But also the fact that, you know, Hank Aaron, one of the greatest baseball players of all time. But the reason why I'm comparing him to Andy Reid, or the reason why I say that I, I first thought about Andy Reid or Hank Aaron when I when they were talking about the accomplishments of Andy Reid in his career, there was really nothing that stuck out in terms of Andy Reid. He won his first Super Bowl in his 21st year of being an, for being an NFL head coach. He won 222 games in the regular season and playoffs. He's won 60% of the games that he's coached. But here was, here's was the thing that blew me away. Those 222 games won, including regular season and the playoffs, that's six all time. And I'm sorry, when we talk about the greatest coaches of all time and we talk about Don Shula and Bill Belichick and Tom Landry and Paul Brown and George Hallis and Bill Walsh and Chuck Knoll and and all these other luminaries, Curly Lambeau, if you want to go all the way back, Vince Lombardi, we never put Andy Reid in that category. When we're talking about all time, great. If we talk about Name some coaches who are right up there in terms of victories. One, you're going to say George Hallis, if you're old and smart and historical enough about learning the history of the game of football. But you're going to say someone like a Paul Brown. You might say somebody, well, of course, you're going to say Don Shula. You'll say Bill Belichick. You'll probably say something like a Bill Walsh or a Tom Landry. But I doubt that you'll, I doubt that if you name 10, 12, 15 coaches, Andy Reid wouldn't be one of them. And I say again, Hank Aaron, because, you know, when Hank Aaron was approaching Babe Ruth's record, hometown, all-time home run record, it was a situation where people would sat back and say, what? We got to like 600 or 650 and plus and such. People were like, what? Hank Aaron? Because Hank Aaron never had that magical season. Hank Aaron never hit 73 home runs in a season. Or he never hit 60 or 61 home runs in a season. I think he never even hit 50 home runs in a season. But what about Hank Aaron? It was longevity and it was about consistency in terms of hitting home runs. 40, 45, 43, 38, 42, 41, 39, 38. And you do that over 15, 16, 17, 18 plus years, then eventually you're going to see where he was in terms of his proximity to catching Babe Ruth and then passing Babe Ruth. 
So that's what I'm saying with Andy Reid. I'm not saying that Andy Reid and Hank Aaron in terms of their level of greatness in the sport that they play, but I'm just naming the like the wow factor or the surprise factor when it comes to Andy Reid being in such in such high regard or you know, in such pristine or prestigious names in NFL football. People were talking about, wow, is Andy Reid does Andy Reid need to win the Super Bowl to give himself consideration? for the Hall of Fame. And again, this was a guy, so even if he didn't win the Super Bowl, he would still be in the top 10, top 7, top 8 of all-time great football coaches in terms of wins are concerned. And I was just thinking to myself, I wonder why, because I was completely blown away too. I know Andy Reid had coached forever. I know that he coached Philadelphia for a long time. I know that he coached uh, Kansas City now for a little bit, but I really didn't know. I had no idea that he was that high up on the all-time winning list because go back to what he was doing the thing. Go back before Patrick Mahomes came aboard and before Andy Reid started winning all these games with Kansas City, ultimately winning the Super Bowl last season, going 13-3, and this season going 12-4 and and such. Damien, remember, try to remember the last time that Andy Reid was considered an elite coach. Everybody knows that he's a very good coach. Even his biggest detractors will say that he's good to very good coach. But if I remember, his best stretch of his career being a head coach was almost two decades ago. That's how long this guy's been around. If you remember, the best stretch that he had as a coach as far as winning percentage is concerned and, and accomplishments are concerned is the years 2000 to 2004 his second of six seasons as a head coach in the NFL for the Philadelphia 76ers. During that span, he went 59-21. He won 74% of their games. And especially that he was in three consecutive NFC Championship games in the Super Bowl. But when people take a look at that success, and that was the year, that was, those were the years that Donovan McNabb was the quarterback of those teams. And you just remember, though, it was always a situation with Andy Reid was yeah, he has a great team, but damn, you know what? When it came down to winning time, for real winning time, he didn't get it done. He didn't get it done in 2003 when he lost at home in the NFC Championship game against Tampa Bay. He didn't get it done in 2003 when he lost to Carolina. 2002, he lost to Tampa Bay and at home for the NFC Championship game. 2003, NFC Championship game, he lost to Carolina. So I just remember him sitting at that podium or standing at that podium in the loss against Carolina at home and the media was just like, man, Andy, what's up, man? When are you going to get this done? You're not going to have these chances forever. When exactly? How tough is this to always get to that mountaintop? Always be the team that's perceived to go all the way and then fail in terms of being upset in a game that you should win. How does that feel? And Andy Reid is just like, hey, man, you know, I'm just going to keep plugging away. It sucks. It hurts. But uh, I ain't quitting. I ain't going nowhere. I'm just going to keep going and going and going. So, for a long time, even though he was highly successful with the Philadelphia Eagles during that time, even though he made three consecutive NFC Championship games, even though he went to a Super Bowl in 2004 and lost that game against the New England Patriots, that game that Donovan McNabb threw up on the field, even through all of that stuff, Andy Reid was always that one guy who just couldn't win the big game, whether it was even when he went to Kansas City having Andrew Luck come back on him after being ahead early in the game and later on in the game and Andrew Luck making that fierce comeback 
for the Indianapolis Colts to win a playoff game over an Andy Reid-led team, Kansas City Chiefs. It was always a situation where, damn, man, you know, the guy just can't get it done. You take a look at his playoff records before the Super Bowl run, Andy Reid with 12-14. and 14. So when you're speaking about all-time great coaches and you shake your head and you scratch your, you scratch your bald head with your receding hairline, you say to yourself, wait a minute, Andy Reid? The one reason why we don't put him with the Bill Belichicks and the George Hallises and the Bill Walsh and the Chuck Knowles and the Paul Browns and the Joe Gibbs and the Bill Parcells is because of that playoff record of 12 and 14. And when you take a look at the other coaching greats and their playoff records, you, take, you think about the, one of the best who's ever done it, Bill Belichick, 31 and 12 in the playoffs with six championships. Vince Lombardi went 9 and 1. And his 1960s run with the Green Bay Packers and won five championships. Chuck Knoll in the 70s, he won 16-8 and eight with four championships. And Bill Walsh in the 80s with the San Francisco 49ers, he went 10-4 and four with three championships. So it's almost a situation where, yeah, that's nice. Um, that's really nice there, Andy. But then again, you're 12-14 and 14, and they just read off all of these luminary Hall of Fame, or at least with Bill Belichick, future Hall of Fame coaches. That's the reason why we never really thought about it when you kept winning football games and your career marks started getting higher and higher and higher. Higher, higher, your record keeps on lifting me, keeps on lifting me, lifting me higher and higher, higher. That's the reason why we never really paid any attention to you. And I don't know if even winning one Super Bowl is enough for a lot of people to say, okay, he's now in the same He's now in the same VIP section. He's now sitting at the same table as someone like a Lombardi or a Knoll or a Walsh or a Brown or a Belichick. Who knows? Or a Joe Gibbs or something like that. We don't know. But it was just surprising to me again that Hank Aaron, he just kept winning games or winning games. No one was paying attention just like Hank Aaron was hitting home runs and hitting home runs. And you turn around and you're like, wait a minute, Andy Reid is six? And you go back and think and it's like, yeah, I do remember back in Philadelphia, there were a lot of 11-5 and 12-4 and and 13-3 and teams. And I do remember that. The lasting image that a lot of people have, especially since time has passed, since he last coached Philadelphia, was his last season where it was a monstrosity. It was atrocity. People were booing and did Andy Reid lose a team? Yes, he did. And it was embarrassing and it was horrible. And so that's from the Philadelphia era. A lot of people who may not be Philadelphia fans, that's kind of like what we remember most about Andy Reid, especially if you're a certain age. Again, he had his best run as the head coach with the Eagles from 2000 to 2004. So we're talking about 20 years ago. So if you're a guy who's 28, 29, 30 years old, who's a football fan, and you don't remember too fondly, or too vividly about Andy Reid and what he was doing when he was at his best as a coach in Philadelphia. So, very interesting. He turned Michael Vick's career around. Donovan McNabb had his best years with Andy Reid and such. So, you knew that he always got a lot out of the quarterback position. But what he's done with Mahomes is stellar. No one expected this when Andy Reid drafted Patrick Mahomes. Nobody I don't care who you were. If anybody had an inkling that Patrick Mahomes was going to be half as good as he already is, you think the Chicago Bears would have drafted, would have made foolish trade, trades to move up one spot to draft Mitchell Trubisky? Well, it's the Bears, so you know, that question is to be determined. Who, who knows? But most competent organizations and front offices and decision makers as far as players are concerned, if they had an inkling that Patrick Mahomes was going to be 50% of what he was, and what he's been shown as an NFL football so far that uh, they would have made him a high first-round pick. So 
Nobody expected this. Everybody was sitting there talking about, yeah, you know, with Andy Reid, he's going to have a shot to be real good. We didn't think he'd be this good this fast. So, yeah, there's a little something also that um, Andy Reid can add to his resume. He is truly a quarterback guru, not Jared Goff and not uh, all these other guys. I mean, the godfather, at least as far as this generation is concerned, as far as developing quarterbacks, is Andy Reid. Wendell's World and Sports, the podcast. My name is Wendell Wallace. Hey! Hello, how you doing? Good to be with you. Talking about Kansas City's victory over the San Francisco 49ers, 31 to 20 in an exciting, at least for the last, what, eight, nine minutes? Eight, nine minutes of the Super Bowl. It was exciting. Don't know about the first three quarters or such. Not, I, I had no rooting interest, really. Well, you know what? I kind of did have a rooting interest. I mean, I wanted the Washington football team to be there, but we know that's not going to happen. And I was just glad that the Dallas Cowboys weren't there because with Jerry Jones as their owner and Jason Garrett as their coach and the chemistry that everything was around, swirling around the Cowboys, the Cowboys organization, you knew that was not going to be happening. So if my Washington Snyder skins are not going to be in a Super Bowl and if the Dallas Cowboys are not going to be in a Super Bowl, then that means I don't have a team to root for, for or against. But, uh, I was even happier speaking about that in terms of teams that I wanted to win. I was really happy for Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs, a guy who should be a head coach somewhere. The fact that he is a black man and the fact that the NFL owners and GMs and other those who have decision-making responsibilities regarding that finds that the Qualified black head coaches have to jump through a few more hoops and do a few more things and have to be more than qualified to get a job in the NFL as they're celebrating, what, the NFL's 75th anniversary? And we see with the hiring practices over the past 5, 6, 10, 12, 50, 75 years how inept, how incompetent, how embarrassing the NFL has been when it comes to not just hiring black coaches but also hiring black executives. Um, it's just, it's just terrible. But Eric Bieniemy should be a head coach somewhere in the NFL. You you take a look at the latest rounds in the past future or, you know, lately, the past couple of years of offensive coordinators who have gotten jobs. And the fact that, well, you know, this guy from the Jared Goff tree, so the head coach for Cincinnati, or this guy in college set these wonderful passing yardists, Cliff Kingsbury, so he has a quirky, outside-the-box, nuanced type of offense that might be able to work in the NFL will draft in the quarterback that knows it better than any other position, any other prospect that's going to be coming up for the draft and Kyler Murray, and let's put him in there and see what happens. So these white these white offensive coordinators and these white head coaches, and hey, you know what, if you can get a job, get a job. I'm not saying anybody needs to turn down a job because they're sitting there going, ah, you know what, I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to coach one of the 32 teams in the NFL. I mean, not too many people. There's a small, small number of people who get those opportunities. So I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're the biggest racist in town. If you're the white guy who gets the opportunity to coach a football team, whether it be a dysfunctional, inept, incompetent organization like the Cleveland Browns or the Detroit Lions or the New York Jets or the Washington Dumpskins, if you get that opportunity to coach that team, the Dallas Cowboys, whatever, man, you take that job and you don't apologize for nobody. You know what? If I need to use my white privilege to get that job to uh, keep Eric Bieniemy down and being the offensive coordinator at Kansas City, so be it. I don't care. <laughs> you know, I you'd be a fool and a half. I'd be the first one to say and tell you, uh, you'd be a fool and a half to sit there and go, well, you know what? I 
really do want the job, but I just think there's too many white head coaches and not enough black guys getting a, re a fair chance. So I know that it's coming down between me and this black head coach to get a job. So you know what? I'm going to step aside and for the good of the game and for the good of society and for the good of the movement and for good of everything else, I'm going to have this black quarterback or this black offensive coordinator or this black special teams coach, defensive coordinator, whatever, become the new head coach of this team. You would be an absolute fool. So this is not directed. So my, I'm not using venom here, but my anger and, and distrust is not geared for the white men who take this job. Take it, take it, take it, take it again. And if you have to use white privilege to do it, then do it. You know, what the fuck? But I'm just saying it's the onus should be on the owners. The onus should be on the GM. I don't think most of these owners are racist. If Eric B. me, if, if someone, if the Lord came down or whoever you believed in and said that if you hire Eric B. enemy franchise, franchise owner of this NFL team, one through 32, if you hire Eric B. enemy or this black head coach, I guarantee you that in 10 years, you are going to have seven or eight Super Bowl championships. If the Lord came down and told those owners that, guess what? That black man would have a job. This is not a situation where, yeah, I know Eric Bieniemy could win me some games. I know Eric Bieniemy, because of him winning games and winning championships, could raise the value of my franchise, which could put even more money in my pocket. Yeah, I know all those things could happen, but because of the color of the skin, I'm saying, nah, fuck that. I'd rather be mediocre and just do what I'm doing right now. We have to, and I'm, yeah, I'm saying we because me being a black man, I am in that community. I have to say that, again, we know this, the fact that we have to be better. If a white man can get a job after going 13 and 3 one year and then going 6 and 10 and 3 and 13 and 4 and 12 the next, then guess what? We have to go 15 and 1 and then fall back to 14 and 2 and then 13 and 3 and keep it at that level. We're not going to have the opportunity that so many other coaches get in terms of finding themselves another job. And you can point to maybe Romeo Cornell and maybe you can point to Todd Bowles and maybe you can point to Hugh Jackson as examples of maybe black coaches who got second chances after they flamed out with their first team. But those are very, very few and far in between when it compares to their white counterparts. And I hear this nonsense about, well, you need to have an offensive coordinator to be, you know, after the Sean McVay explosion with the Los Angeles Rams uh, last season where he took this guy was McVay. Look, what, what was he about 17 years old? Did he get his driver's license yet? Did he, did his parents have to drive him to the game because he was so damn young? But basically it was, we need to pluck every offensive guy from the Sean McVay tree because we need some of that magic. We need, a, we need in that organization what he's got. So they went out in Cincinnati, got somebody and a couple of other organizations got somebody. The green Bay Packers went out and got somebody as far as the, the, um, Sean McVay tree and some other coaches uh, who benefited from being with Sean McVay. I think if anybody had a cup of coffee last hiring season with Sean McVay, they got themselves an interview for a, for a position, for a head coaching position. But there always seems to be some roadblock. There always seems to be some roadblock to where if you're not, if you're not intelligent about it, if you're not aware of it, you look at it and you say, yeah, I, I can see where that can come to fruition. Oh, yeah, I can see where that makes sense. No, 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 it's not racism. I've always said this before. When you're, when you're, when you're racist, see, race, someone who's a bigot and someone who's racist or someone who's going to say that I don't want to hire a black man or I don't want to hire a Hispanic or I don't want to hire somebody who's gay or I don't want to hire someone, anybody who's been 
oppressed or had been prejudged, shall we say. The person who's doing that, the person who is the prejudiced one, who is the racist one, who is the bigoted one, they ain't going to come right out and say, this is the reason why we're not going to hire this guy, whether it be for a football coach, whether it be for a director of studies, whether it be for the department chair of a university or an elementary school or the supervisor of a ditch digging crew or the manager of an account executive at a law firm or in a, or at a collection place, whatever the whatever the situation might be, that person who is apprehensive because of their ignorance, because of their bigotry, because of their white privilege, whatever it might be, because of their male white privilege being put into play, they're not going to come right out and say, yeah, this is the reason why that we didn't hire this guy. It's because he's black. Well, yeah, this is the reason why, because we got 14 males on our on our team. I'm not going to be hiring a woman. A woman that is strong enough in a male-dominated situation like that. She would get run over by these males or anything. Or, I can't hire this guy. This guy's gay. Who's going to listen to the gay guy? I mean, you know how these gays are. By the first time they get into trouble, they're going to be, oh my gosh, oh, oh. I mean, you know, the ignorant stereotypes that happened. I mean, I'm not going to hire a Hispanic guy. How do I know, especially if that idiot gets reelected in 2020, how do I know that he'll even be around? I mean, him, him and the family might get deported for heaven's sakes. He might have to go back to Mexico. So we're, you know, no one who's a bigot or a racist or playing off their male white privilege is going to say things like that. They're always going to throw in the, well, I mean, you know, Hey, I mean, look, we're looking for a certain type and oh, just that and the other. Same thing with the NFL. Hey, we're, you know, offensive coordinator. The league now is moving more toward an offensive scheme. There's the rules and regulations are being put. The onus is being put on the offense to score points. And we're just looking for the best offensive mind. Oh, it just so happens that the offensive coordinators and the quarterback coaches in the NFL they're all white. Oh, how about that? See, so we're not hiring black folks because we don't want them representing our franchise or we don't want them saying hello to our season ticket holders or we don't feel comfortable if they go to our country clubs or with our our high, high pollutant whatever type of uh, industry events that we go to. No, no, no. It's because, you know what? The NFL is switching more toward a offensive system so we're looking for an offensive coordinator so when you hear somebody say we're looking for an offensive guy that means we're looking for a white guy so here comes eric the enemy who hold on for a second now offensive coordinator has been has been very involved and important in the development of patrick mahomes three years into the league two as a starter and already he's reached the Heights of what he's reached already. Hold on for a second now. Why is it that Pat, why is it that Eric Bieniemy is not getting a true shot, a real shot to become a head coach? Well, you know, I mean, I don't like his uh, style, and you know, Andy Reid calls all the plays and this, that, the other. And I've told these fools before, and anybody who should know this, man, being a head coach in the NFL is not about calling plays, and it's not about it's not about any of that. Jimmy Johnson just got himself into the Hall of Fame. Jimmy Johnson wasn't on the sideline for Dallas when they were winning Super Bowls calling plays. What got Jimmy Johnson into the Hall of Fame? He'll tell you. It was North Turner. It was Dave Wonstadt. It was all those guys, his assistant coaches. And it was also the relationships that he built with his players. His ability to communicate a message. His ability to create chemistry and harmony, which in focusing on one goal, which is winning. Having, getting the players respect, 
for them to do what he wanted them to do. That's what it was all about. Jimmy Johnson, when he was at the University of Miami and then with the Dallas Cowboys, this wasn't a guy who was sitting there talking about this guy's an offensive guru, this guy's an offensive genius. Did you see what he did as far as his maturity in terms of him grooming Vinny Testaverde or any of these other guys from the University of Miami when he was the head coach? Man, I can't believe this guy, we need to give him a job. No, it's not about that. It wasn't about that at all. Again, it's about communications. It's about earning respect. It's about commanding respect. Eric Bieniemy checks off all of those boxes. And oh, by the way, he's also a damn good coordinator. He's also a damn good guy if the need be that he needs to take over as far as being an offensive play caller or devoting more time. When you're a head coach of a football team, you're not sitting there devising plays and game plans for the most part. That's why you have an offensive coordinator. But in this situation, if need be, then Eric Bieniemy can do that, and he's shown that. But his leadership skills, if you want to ask Andy Reid, if you want to ask Patrick Mahomes, if you want to ask any of the Kansas City Chiefs players, his leadership qualities are off the charts. And the fact that he cannot get himself a head coaching position when the owners don't have the the blanket or the shield of saying, well, I mean, hey, we're looking for an offensive guy. So it's a joke. It's a horrible thing. It's, Eric Bieniemy and and Patrick Mahomes, they, they were the first black offensive coordinator, black offensive coordinator, quarterback combo to win a championship. But, you know, this is not going to be the first time that a qualified black head coach is going to be passed over for a job. Jim Caldwell can't get himself a job. Now, Jim Caldwell came down. I believe Jim Caldwell is going to take a leave of absence for a year because of personal illness with the... Miami Dolphins, that's where he last was. But Jim Caldwell should be a coach by now. The fact that the Detroit Lions fired him after a 9-7 season, and they still have Matt Patricia after head coach within three seasons. He's won nine games combined. And let's be patient. Let's do this. Let's do that. And Jimmy Haslam, you couldn't find a situation where you could get Eric Bieniemy to tutor Baker Mayfield. We saw what he did with... Patrick Mahomes, oh, and unlike Freddie Kitchens, he would command the respect of the players in the locker room. So, all right, that's the way it goes in the NFL. But, yeah, man, it was a pretty good uh, game. Enjoyed it, watched it, ate while I was watching, relaxed. But uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, Super Bowl 54, your NFL 2019 champions. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us on this wonderful podcast on this beautiful day in Las Vegas, Nevada. So, just wanted to put the Super Bowl 54 to bed, Kansas City over San Francisco 31-20. And of course, when we're speaking about a big game like this in any sport, the question most asked after a game like that, a championship game, a championship series, whatever, is did the Chiefs win the game? Or did the 49ers lose it? Or did this team win the game? Or did this team lose the game? And the answer is always the same. It's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. 
you can get with this or you can get with that. Cowboys good, Washington whack. But no, nah, I mean, at, the, the answer is always a little bit of both. But I think the majority of the reason why it was about Kansas City winning the football game. I don't think this was a situation where where San Francisco blew it. I mean, you have to give credit. Whenever a team loses a lead or loses a series, we always talk about, well, what did this team do to lose? Well, why don't we just sometimes concentrate on, well, what did this team do to win? And we can point back to, well, they should have done this, when they should have done that, they should have said tomato, when they should have said tomato, they should have not called the whole thing off. I mean, they, we always go back and second guess. But a lot of times, it's just a situation where one team made a play and the other team didn't. It had nothing to do with the team choking. It had nothing to do with the team getting tight. It had nothing to do with a coach not knowing what he was doing. It had nothing to do with all of a sudden now these players can't play whatever sport we're talking about. Sometimes it's just fucking, man. The other team made the play and the other team didn't. And I think that's what the situation was with the Super Bowl between Kansas City and San Francisco, especially if you take a look at the propensity of Kansas City to come back. They were 5-0 and this season when trailing in double digits. What, did the other team get give them the uh, game too? Did the other team get lucky? Did the other team just decide to choke? No, I mean, one team had Patrick Mahomes in an unbelievable offense. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to be watching the heavyweight title fight between Deontay Murray, or not Deontay Murray, sorry, Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. And Deontay Wilder is a guy who fights. He's just looking for one shot. One of the hardest hitters, if not the hardest hitter in heavyweight boxing history. And he's just looking for that one opportunity. And if he has to lose four, five, six, seven, eight rounds like he was doing against Luis Ortiz, it doesn't matter. It doesn't face him because he knows what he, all he has to do is touch you on the jaw once with a little bit of force and you're going to be going out. And you're going to be done. So did he win the game? Did he lose? How could he not see that right hand and blah, blah, blah? Hey, man, I mean, sometimes that, some people in sports, they have it in them. The Kansas City Chiefs have it in them for them to, you know what? Our offense is going to get, our offense is going to start moving. It's going to start grooving. It's going to start improving during the course of the game. So if we fall behind in the first or second or even third quarter, that's okay. This wasn't a situation like it was a few years ago against uh, the Super Bowl where Atlanta was up 28 to 3 in the third quarter against the New England Patriots. It was still a two possession game going into the fourth quarter, a two-possession game against Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't give a damn how good your defense is. That's not a situation where if you lose, it's a situation where you can say, oh, well, obviously, because they had a 20-10 to 10 lead halfway through the fourth quarter, obviously, San Francisco choked. Or obviously, Jimmy Garoppolo isn't ready for primetime. Or obviously, Kyle Shanahan can't get it done. No. Kyle Shanahan just have to be at the other end of a, of Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes could go down. Patrick Mahomes could go down as one of the greatest quarterbacks of his generation. And he lost in Atlanta to Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, one of the best quarterback head coaching duos in NFL history. There's no, there's no, like he choked or he gave the game away. Like all of a sudden Kyle Shanahan becomes, became scared or scared and gave it up. No. So you can just sit right here. The reason for the San Francisco 49ers for losing, and I know people, again, are going to point to Kyle Shanahan, another Super Bowl loss where he's going to receive the lion's share of the blame, just like he did as the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons. And yeah, there was a 
statistic that I saw on Twitter where Shanahan teams were outscored a combined 46 to nothing, including overtime of the Super Bowl game against the New England Patriots. Now, the majority of the criticism is going to come from the decision that he made at the end of the first half. He decided not to call a timeout with a minute 53 remaining. The game was tied 10-10 after the Chiefs had a fourth and 13. You even saw the highlights of John Lynch or you saw the camera panning up to John Lynch. He was sitting there going, timeout, timeout, timeout. They allowed the Chiefs to move the ball or to run the clock down to 59 seconds left in the half. And by all intents and purposes, Shanahan was going to just have the 49ers run out the clock, but they got themselves in a position to where they had the opportunity to maybe put some points on the board. A offensive pass interference call on George Kittle negated a long pass that would have gave them prime field goal position with 14 seconds left to go in a half. And I'm just going to stop and talk about this just for a quick second where people are debating whether that's whether that was offensive pass interference or not. You know, the thing is, is that you could take 20 calls of pass interference in the NFL this season and that are similar to the call that was the play by Kittle that was called pass interference. You could take 20 plays very, very similar to that in the NFL this season. And I bet you 10 of the calls would be pass interference. And I bet you the other 10 calls would be let them play on. Inconsistency with the inconsistency. Who knows? Who knows what pass interference, offensive pass interference? I'm quite sure the New Orleans Saints fans are sitting there talking about, man, where was that referee in the NFC Championship game last season? I'm not of calling that offensive pass interference. We would have been in the Super Bowl. We would have won the Super Bowl last year if that guy, if that referee, would have been umpiring a referee in our game. Damn. But no, who knows? It was the NFL and that is so inconsistent. You can't argue one way or the other if the 49ers got screwed on that call. But getting back to the point where it was like, oh man, you know, if, if Shanahan would have called timeouts, he would have put the 49ers in better position. And what did that say about him trusting Jimmy Garoppolo and all that thing? Well, I mean, let's kind of slow down a little bit. The San Francisco 49ers lost that lead of 20 to 10 in the fourth quarter. They were ahead 20 to 10. So it wasn't a situation where they were behind or anything like that. They wanted the halftime right in the game. And even if they scored, let's say, for instance, let's say they just scored a field goal to make it 13-10. Big deal. You think what? They, you think that's going to scare the Kansas City Chiefs all of a sudden now? Even if it, the league got to 23-10, to 10, that all of a sudden now they were in a much better position? No, it just means they would have lost the Super Bowl 31-24. So I, I, you can't say a team lost or greatly diminished its chances of winning the football game because of a decision that was made in the first half of a tie football game. I'm not buying that. I'm not going for it. And I can I can see the rationale of Kyle Shanahan. It's like, look, you know what? I mean, it was a situation where, hey, we didn't want to give Kansas City ball back with some time left. They all had all their timeouts. We didn't want to give them an opportunity to go ahead and score and and have them go into halftime with the lead. We were happy. We were content going to the halftime with the lead of, uh, well, not the, not the lead, but being content with going in tied. And, you know, you can sit there and be like, well, you can't be content being tied with the Kansas City Chiefs. Their offense is so awesome that you need to put as many points on the board as possible, you fucking dummy. No, well, I, I, no, I don't I, I understand what Kyle Shanahan was talking about because I can understand the fact that if he did, especially if he didn't have a whole lot of confidence in Jimmy Garoppolo, 
And let's say, for instance, that, okay, we're going to be aggressive and we're going to call timeout and we're going to get the ball back and we're going to try to score a touchdown. And then, so our first down, we're going to pass the ball incomplete. That stopped the clock. Then we're going to pass it on second down. That stopped the clock. Then Kansas City still has all of his timeouts. And then let's get conservative and run the football and so we can get this clock moving again. So maybe Mostert or somebody like that run for five or six yards. Kansas City calls timeout. They have two timeouts left. When they have the ball, they go down the score. So instead of it being a tie game, Kansas City is ahead 17-10. And then Kyle Shanahan gets obliterated and abused because what are you doing being so aggressive when you know that Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City are right there licking their chops to see what they can do about scoring in the at the end of the second quarter. So damn if you do, damn if you don't. Just because they didn't go just because they didn't go for a touchdown, that doesn't mean that they were going to score a touchdown or put any points on the board at the end of the first half. So I don't really get too bent out of shape of that criticism. Could he have done it? I don't know, man, whatever. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. The other criticism that I found laughable was the terrible time management that he had in the fourth quarter, not running the ball when Kansas City was making the comeback. In fact, with the lead in the second half, San Francisco had 14 plays, right? Garoppolo passed on nine of the 14 plays. And Garoppolo really didn't have a really good fourth quarter to say the, <laughs> to be kind. <laughs> I mean, he was Josh Allen Jr. The way Josh Allen was performing in the fourth quarter in the divisional round against the Houston Texans. He was, speaking of Garoppolo, three of 11 for 36 yards and an interception in the fourth quarter. How could you not run the fucking ball? Kyle Shanahan. Hey, man, that's not Kyle Shanahan's MO. Well, you had them. They were doing well. They were doing awesome. They were doing great. They ran the ball 22 times, 6.5 yards per carry, 141 yards. My goodness gracious, how could you not continue to give him the football? Well, Kyle Shanahan is a passing man. He's a passing guy. He loves passing. And, of course, he did well this season. He had the second-ranked rushing game in the, in the league. But, uh, again... It's the fear of Kansas City and that offense. And you don't want to sit on the lead. You just don't. You fight Kansas City scoring points by you turning around and scoring points on them. You don't, after it got to 2017, you don't all of a sudden, or even when it's 2010, you don't start playing the clock. You don't start looking at the clock and hoping that the time runs. You still have to be aggressive and score touchdowns. And Kyle Shanahan, as we know, is an aggressive play caller. He's an aggressive offensive coach. So that's what he did. And the most haunting, I know people are going to sit back and talk about, oh my goodness, this, that, and the other. You know what? Down 24-20 with a minute 40 left to go in the game at the ball at the um, KC 49-yard line, third and 10. Garoppolo, he had him. He had him. He had Emmanuel Sanders on the post route. So if that is completed, and if and butts are nuts and all that kind of stuff, but the thing is the whole narrative is changed if Garoppolo makes that play. You can't put that on the head coach. The head coach drew up the play that was there. Put that on Garoppolo. Then on the next play, he was sacked by Fred Clark. See you later, alligator. So three teams in Super Bowl history have lost 10-point leads in the fourth quarter. Shanahan has called the offensive plays for two of them. Yikes. So, again, he was criticized for not running the ball enough in the Super Bowl. Again, if Garoppolo makes that play, if he makes that play, we're not talking about this. We're not talking about this at all. Even if it's a situation where even on the, what, so he ran the ball for 
for six yards. And then play action pass. He had a couple of guys open on consecutive plays and missed them. That's not on Mike Shuler. That's definitely not on Mike Shuler because he wasn't coaching. That's not on Kyle Shanahan. It's not. So it's on the player. So I like a guy who's I like a guy who's aggressive. And that's who Kyle Shanahan is. He's a guy who's gonna stay aggressive. So if you win by being aggressive, then you're gonna lose by being aggressive because we're all under the assumption that if he just ran the, the football, that all of a sudden that San Francisco was just going to get first down at the first down. You don't think that Kansas City was realizing that San Francisco was going to try to run the ball? Maybe the defense that Kansas City came out in, maybe they dictated that the play action would be there. And again, a minute 40 left to go in the fourth quarter, down 24-20. Garoppolo had Emmanuel Sanders open. So in all actuality, Kyle Shanahan called the right play. Don't put this on him. And please, as, as a guy who has churned through, as a guy who's been a fan of the Washington Deadskins, Dumbskins, No Direction Skins, hey, if you clowns want to go ahead and fire Kyle Shanahan, we'll take him back. We will take him back. Ooh, ooh, baby, we want him back. Not Ron Rivera. We want Kyle back. Ooh, 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 ooh. We want Kyle back. At least I do. So, yeah, man, you can go ahead. I, San Francisco... Don't be sitting there talking about Kyle Shanahan should have done this, Kyle Shanahan should have done that. It's a team game. Let's give credit where credit is due. The reason why the Kansas City Chiefs won this game, it was because of Kansas City winning it, not because of San Francisco losing it. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us speaking about everything that was happening in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I know it's a little bit too late, but hey, man, like I said before, I was up saving kids, man. I'm so such, you know, I'm such an unselfish guy. I'm thinking about you, and I'm thinking about you, and I'm thinking about my generation. We're not going to be in the workforce for another 40, 50 years. I hope not. At least. Our plan is not to be working until we die. I mean, maybe when we're 60, 65, 70, I mean, we want to do what we need to do. We want to do what we want to do, right? Of course, right? No one wants to be working at a place where they don't want to work until they're dead. So my ambition is to get the younger generation ready to take care of us. So that's what I was doing all last week. I was up in Mesquite in the hotel room, devising, planning, seeing what I could do to better the younger generation. So when I hit to be 60 and and, you know, 65 and 70 and 75 and such, I can sit back and relax knowing the students that I taught, the students that I gave lessons to, the students who I educated, I gave them the foundation where I can sit back, relax, whether it be in Albany, Maryland, at Leisure World, and kicking back and counting my money and doing whatever and just saying, hell, and just saying, I feel good. I feel good. So, yeah, man, so my stuff, my conversation about the Super Bowl might be a little bit late, but come on, give me a little props, huh? It's been good so far. Haven't you enjoyed it? I have. How about you? 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 Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Hey, man, did you see the um, Super Bowl halftime show? Normally, I'm not one of those guys. Normally, I'm not really a big halftime guy. 
of all the Super Bowls that I've watched now, I think it's going on. I started watching Super Bowls in 1976, the Minnesota Vikings and the Oakland Raiders. And I think I've only maybe missed at the very most two. I know I missed the second Buffalo, Buffalo Dallas Super Bowl for reasons that I explained in the last podcast. Go check it out. But uh, normally... When it comes to the halftime show, I take a break, do something else, relieve myself, whatever. When I say relieve myself, go to the bathroom, don't go there. But, you know, there's a lot of things that I like to do just to get relaxed and get ready for the second half. So unless you're giving me something like Beyonce or Michael Jackson back in 93 or James Brown when he did a Super Bowl or Prince in 2007 or Bruno Mars, I thought that he was interesting along with uh, Beyonce and I guess it's this group. Coldplay or whatever that was back in 2016. You know, I'm interested. You can get Beyonce up there with anything and I'll be interested. Sorry, Jay. But, um, yeah, so I was, so, you know, of course, Shakira and J-Lo. Okay, I'm interested. You got me. You got me with Shakira and J-Lo. So, I tell you what, man, that performance from 43-year-old Shakira and 50-year-old J-Lo, man, that was more entertaining than the three quarters of that game, that, that game, and it was more inspirational to me in my generation, man. 50 years old, J-Lo's looking that good at 50 years old. Shakira is still looking that good at 43 years old. D-A-M-N. Damn. I guess the NFL justified the relationship with Jay-Z based on the talent he acquired from the, uh, acquired to perform at the Super Bowl, right? Wasn't that one of the reasons why the league and Jay-Z got together was because he was going to be in charge of putting together a halftime show or something like that? Well, there you go, Jay. One for one on that. One for one on that one, because you've had Super Bowl performances before by Justin Timberlake and the Rolling Stones and Bruce Springsteen, the East Street Band, Katy Perry, Missy Elliott, Lenny Kravis, and Left Shark. What to the fuck is the Left Shark? Shania Twain, no doubt, no doubt, and Sting, Destiny's Child, Bruno Mars, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers with Flea. Then you had the wardrobe malfunction with Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake and and in sync and Britney Spears, you know, somehow I missed that show. Huh, how about that? Lady Gaga in 17. I mean, they even had Tony Bennett and um, Patti LaBelle up there at the halftime show. So it's like they've been searching. They've been trying to get all different types of genres and all they've been trying to attract all different folks across the spectrum. I mean, you're talking about Katy Perry, Missy Elliott, Letty Kravis and Left Shark. You're speaking about Shania Twain, No Doubt and Sting. You're speaking about, uh, what are these other ones here? Uh, Bruno Mars, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Aerosmith, NSYNC, and Britney Spears. It's like, you're just trying to get everybody, ain't you? I mean, it's almost like, well, don't you get uh, some opera singer, a rapper, a heavy metal band, and reggae? I mean, it's just unbelievable. But this year's performance, I don't know, man. I super enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Normally, you know, they got the kids bouncing around up there and at the halftime show and they're up there dancing around and doing all this kind of stuff and they're dancing the shit I don't know anything about. But uh, this season, I tell you what, if it wasn't the best, it had to be the sexiest. Sorry, Brittany. Sorry, Beyonce. Sorry, Miss Elliott. <laughs> Just kidding. No, but uh, this had to be the sexiest, man. J-Lo, 50-year-old J-Lo and 43-year-old Shakira were, getting, were putting it down. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, wait a minute, man, I'm 50 years old. What would J-Lo's up there doing, up there hanging on that pole and doing all the things and coming out dressed like that, man? Why can't I do something like that? I'm not talking about dressed like that, but I mean, you know, why can't I go ahead? I mean, I'm not trying to be like J-Lo in terms of swinging on poles and 
dancing and doing all those types of things. I'm not trying to be like Shakira up there shaking my ass and doing all that kind of stuff. I mean, ladies, would you like to see me shake my ass? Let me know. Give me a give me some give me some hands from all of you beautiful young ladies who want to see Big Wind Dog shake his ass. You, you, no, you, you, anybody? Well, fuck all your bitches. No, I'm joking. But no, that's just that just like inspired me because you know right now I'm, I'm a fat tub of guts man I'm like super out of shape I'm disgustingly fat I am not taking off my shirt because I don't want the world to explode uh disgusting so watching those two sexy young milfs out there doing their things it was like man it inspired me to get back to the gym now you can I don't need those cheese curves tonight when I'm going to be watching this fight I don't need the extra side of fries I don't need to be running to the fast food joints at two in the morning to get myself a chocolate shake and a hamburger and, and large fries. I don't need to be doing that kind of stuff. I don't need to be chowing down on the chocolate. I don't need to be crunching on munching on the chips. I don't need to be doing all those things. I don't need to be sipping on the soda. I don't need to be doing all those things. I need to go ahead, get my Jacqueline juicer, which I have sitting down over there. I need to go get my broccoli and my Brussels sprouts and my cabbage and my carrots and my apples and my garlic and my parsley, and everything else that I'll be juicing with, get those leafy greens, get my dandelion greens, get my spinach, get my kale, and then come back and get my watermelon, rind and all, get the oranges, get the pears, get the apples, get the cantaloupes, and just start juicing and juicing and juicing. Green juice, fresh juice, detox juice, and head back to LBAC. Get out there, Get back to my body pump class. Get back to my body combat class. Get back to my cycling class. Get back to walking on the treadmill. Get back to doing all them things. That's what J-Lo and Shakira did for me. So again, not only were they sexy, but they were also inspirational. Well, of course, you know. You know what happened next, right? You knew what was going to be happening next. Just like the sun comes up. Every morning and the sun sets in the west every night, unless you're living in Alaska during certain months of the, of the season. You knew what was coming, right? You knew the backlash that was going to be following on Twitter and other social media outlets, right? Franklin Graham, the eldest son of the late preacher Billy Graham, tweeted, I don't expect the world to act like a church, thank Jesus. But I, now that's me saying thank Jesus, so let me start again. I don't expect the world to act like a church. But our country has a sense of moral decency on primetime television in order to protect children. We see that disappearing before our eyes. It was demonstrated in tonight's Pepsi Super Bowl halftime show with millions of kids watching. God, to all of you people, to all of you people who bring up your fucking bullshit about kids being exposed to this kind of nonsense. Because of that, all of the kids who are going to be watching this, unless... Go to where it is. All these young, impressionable girls who are going to be watching this, all of a sudden now they're going to be wanting to dress like whores and be strippers. Shut the fuck up. Seriously. Franklin Graham, as my Lord and Savior, shut the fuck up and go the fuck away. Fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. Really, seriously. Damn. You know, I, I love the fact, and women should just be like, women should have the same attitude that I have. Because why is it that The Rock doesn't ever get chastised when he's in a movie where he's showing off his arms? Or why doesn't Zac Efron get uh, chastised when he's up there showing his abs and his 
biceps and his triceps and his pectoral muscles. Or why doesn't anybody else? I don't know. Uh, these. Uh, I guess there was some Adam, somebody who did the show last year and he did it shirtless. Why isn't they? Why are they getting taken to task for being a bad influence on guys? Why is it that? You know, I'm watching a basketball game. Why isn't LeBron James getting chastised for wearing a jersey that might be a little bit too tight that's going to show off his biceps, the triceps, and the deltoids? You can't put a t-shirt on or something like that? There's little kids watching. There's young, impressionable boys watching who feel that, oh my goodness, the only way that I can become anything in life is I have to grow up to be 6'5 or 6'8 and 265 pounds and have the athletic ability of LeBron James. Oh my gosh. Oh, what is TV doing to our youngsters? God, I just, it drives me, it drives me nuts. Absolutely drives me nuts because it goes back to, once again, parents, lousy parents, I should say, being, well, you know, I really don't have the time or the energy or the competence or the intelligence or the wherewithal or the maturity to raise my child. So if my child does become a stripper, or a hooker, or she wants to slide on a pole, or she gets herself pregnant at 16, or if she becomes addicted to drugs and methadone and everything else because she's trying to live up to a image of what a female should look like, and the only thing I see is Shakira and J-Lo, and oh my goodness, look how great they look at 43 and 50, and if I can't look that way at 21, what does that mean for me when I reach their age? Someone pass me a bottle, someone pass me a needle with some heroin in it, because I, because life is just too difficult for me. And I blame the halftime show for all of that. I was just a sweet, young, wonderful, innocent girl who was watching a football game. And all of a sudden, I saw J-Lo swinging from a pole at 50. And I saw Shakira shaking her hips and not lying. And oh my goodness gracious, from that day forward, I said to myself, I have got to become a stripper or a whore and dress like a whore or a slut. Give me a, give me a break. Give me a break. We got others on Twitter here. Let me see. We got... Crystal from East Bay, California, the Worship Warriors. Oh, my goodness gracious. God, you you Bible-thumping losers. You guys just need to just go away. So Crystal says on her Twitter, do you just not wear clothes anymore? No more cross shots, please. My kids and probably your kids are watching. How old are you anyway at J-Lo Classless Super Bowl? Crystal, let me explain something to you. J-Lo's making a lot of money. J-Lo's making a whole lot of money, bitch. She's making a whole lot of money. So let me tell you something. I, last time I checked, she was wearing clothes. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I I think we've come far in our society, but I don't think we're at the point yet where we can have women performing halftime shows or anywhere on television where they're just stone butt naked. So the clothes thing is not really, is not really plausible, but... My kids are probably, your kids are watching. Yeah, so what? So what? Big fucking deal. They're probably sitting there going, damn, for a 50-year-old. You know, you know what What the what the kids are saying? Wow, for an old lady, J-Lo looks great. <laughs> That's what they're probably saying. Because for kids, 50 is, is really, really old. For me, it ain't though. For me, it's young. But for the kids, if you're young, impressionable kids, they're probably like, wow, they're, they're really old. Kevin from Cleveland, Ohio. I'm embarrassed for my kids to watch this halftime show. What the hell? Stripper poles, crotch, and rear end shots? No dignity. Shame on you, Jennifer Lopez and Shakira. Shame on you. Kevin, shut the fuck up. Mary Elsa. J-Lo is so beautiful. But the most vulgar halftime show. As I, as I was sitting at party and pictured 50 people, moms, dads, 
lots of little kids running around, had to come up with our own entertainment as not fans of crotch shots and stripper poles, low class. Man, she only went up the pole once, for heaven's sakes. It's not like she did the whole song up there. And what is wrong? What is wrong now? All of a sudden now, strippers are like supposed to be the worst human beings who ever walked the face of the earth. Hey, let me tell you something, man. I'm not one who's really interested in dating a stripper. I'm not one in. I'm not really one in interested in marrying a stripper. I mean, I would love to have fun with a stripper. I would love to, you know, have a really nice time of rolling the sack with a stripper. I'm, I'm single, you know. So I mean, the strippers have their place in life. But my goodness gracious, y'all are acting like, you know, you have ISIS and then you have strippers. I mean, so the strippers. So let me let me tell you something. Strippers are all right. There ain't nothing wrong. If someone wants to be a stripper, be a stripper. I don't care. Strippers make a lot more money out here in Vegas. Strippers, let me tell you how many, let me tell you something. Strippers make more money than teachers, social workers, <laughs> educators. And you can sit there and bellow and howl and scream and talk about that's how so wrong and that's terrible. But they make more than firefighters and police people and all that kind of stuff. So you can sit there and whine and cry and complain and that's the reason why this world is going to hell of a handbag because strippers make more money than teachers out here well you know what then teachers need to maybe if teachers taught kids on a stripper pole maybe they could uh, up their ante you know maybe the fathers could come in while their children are in class with this beautiful young lady with a great body up there teaching math and history and science and english on a stripping pole and in between the lessons the fathers can come up to give them one dollar bills or you know, when the kids are sitting there and they got five minutes left to go before the bell rings, you know, the teacher can turn on the music and have the parents sit there, the father sit there, and the mother sit there, and she can, you know, give them a show or give them a lap dance or something like that. So not only would you get the benefit of having a teacher's salary with the pension and the retirement fund, you could also, you know, pick up some extra dollars from the lap dances you'd be getting from the fathers and the mothers while you were doing that. So, you know, maybe we should start instituting stripping poles and lap dances and, 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 and those type of shows for teachers. Maybe that'll make you happy. That way, teachers can say that, you know what, I make more than strippers. So, ha, 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 ha. So, it's just, like I said before, J-Lo and Shakira, fantastic job. Fantastic job. And really an inspiration. I don't understand a lot of women, man. Eh, that women are just vicious toward each other. Ugh, whore, skank. Classless, this, that, and the other. Men don't do that. Men don't do that with uh, Zach Efron. At least straight men don't. I don't sit there. If Zach Efron wants to, hey man, they want to do a Super Bowl show where Zach Efron wants to go out in a thong and, I don't know, man, shake his booty on down to the ground with a couple of folks from, from Chippendales, whatever. I mean, I ain't going to watch it, but I'm definitely not going to sit there and be like, oh my God, this is terrible. How could Zach Efron be doing something like that, you son of a bitch? Don't you know that children are watching? Oh, my God. Men never say that bullshit. And let me tell you something. Who else? Let me tell you another group who doesn't say that the majority of time. The women. Is Zac Efron. I, keep, I hate to keep bringing up Zac Efron, but that's the guy whose name is stuck. I don't know. Zac Efron, The Rock. Um, I don't know, man. A bunch of other guys, you know, who want to come out dressed, you know, in the Chippendales outfit. If they were like the halftime show, I'm quite sure there'd be a whole lot of women sitting there talking about, yeah, no change the channel there. Hey, man, where you going? Yeah. Woo. Hey, does the second half have to start? Yeah. Shake the body onto the ground. Woo. I mean, so, you know, give me a, give me a break. Give me a break. We got to, we got to, <laughs> these, these same losers who are sitting there talking about, oh, my goodness gracious, J-Lo's on a, on a stripper pole and, 
and Shakira is up there with crotch shots and everything like that. This is just the worst thing for our children and everything. Don't you fucking idiots realize that we have a person who's in the White House who said that, you know what? One of the great things about being a celebrity is I get to grab women's pussies or the fact that I moved on her like a bitch. You do do realize that we have a guy in the White House who cheated on his wife who was pregnant at the time and was fucking a porn star. You You do realize that, right? Now, hey, you know what? The opportunity to fuck Stormy Daniels, sign me up for that one. But, you know, I'm not up here talking about, I'm not talking about morality plays either. So I love these folks in this country talking about where this country coming from or, oh my goodness gracious, because we have people up here trying to be like strippers and hookers and all this kind of stuff. Meanwhile, we have a lying, corrupt, asshole piece of shit that's in the White House right now who voters, millions of voters, a lot of the women who are sitting up there talking about how classless and how horrible J-Lo and Shakira are and how terrible they are for their kids. These are the same assholes who decided that they were going to vote for an incompetent, slob, a coward, a gutless piece of shit. Despite the fact that, oh yeah, I moved on her like a bitch, and hey, you know what? I can grab women's pussies and it'll be fine with me because they'll let, they'll let me do it because I'm a celebrity. You had no problem voting for someone like that, right? But now you're going to have a problem up here with Shakira and J-Lo, 43 and 50, doing what they were doing at a halftime show. F. U-C-K-Y-O-U, exclamation, exclamation, exclamation point. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss going down today in the world of sports. Real quickly, I'm not going to hit on it too much, but as I'm recording this podcast, as I before I go ahead and watch uh, Johnny Bones Jones defend his UFC light heavyweight title in the absolutely gorgeous and sexy and very dangerous Valentina Shevchenko defend her belt. Before I go out and um, watch this card tonight on UFC, I'm doing this, I'm recording this podcast. But in the background, I have on the North Carolina Duke game. And right now, Duke is up, or Duke is losing, excuse me, by 11 points. Duke right now is ranked number seven in the country. North Carolina, I, North Carolina is like 10 and 12, 10 and 13, something like that. Wow, that's something else. But the only reason why I bring this up, and I'll probably talk about this on my next podcast <clears throat> Monday is, do you remember the one, because Duke has lost three games. I know they lost two in conference. Who was the one team that beat Duke this year? The one non-conference team that beat Duke. Do you remember? Do you? I think it was Stephen F. Austin. Off the top of my mind, I don't remember. I do remember, though, people like losing their mind over it. I remember people just like, oh, I can't, this Stephen F. Austin, this is unbelievable. I can't, delete. And I was sitting there at the time, and I, and I had said this on, on on the podcast. I said, believe me, man, in about two or three months, no one's going to know, no one's going to care. <laughs> I mean, Stephen F. Austin, whatever, this doesn't affect Duke at all. Big fucking deal. Duke right now is ranked number seven in the country. And again, if I didn't mention Stephen F. Stephen F. Austin, and I'm not even sure that's the team, I'm thinking 
I'm thinking, I'm guessing, if I had to guess, that would be the team. But do you remember? Before I even brought this up, if I said, what were the three losses of Duke this year? Or what were the one non-conference loss that they had this year? Would you remember who that team was? Do you remember how they lost? Even if you're a pretty good college basketball fan, right? Do you even remember that game or anything about that game? No, of course not. So at the time, like I said, it was like, you know, that was nice for college basketball, gave them the platform a little bit to shine above the NFL and some other things. But in the total relevance of the season, it is completely irrelevant. It has no meaning whatsoever. When everything is said and done, that game, that loss that Duke had means absolutely nothing. But I'll talk more about what's going down in college basketball on my next podcast, especially with my Georgetown Hoyas. Ooh, what a win today over DePaul. What a win today over DePaul. No Matt McClung over in year seven went down. Yeah, I had friends of mine talking about Coach Ewing, Ewing this, Ewing that. The boy, the man can coach, and those guys play hard for him. Those guys will run through a wall for that coach, and that's about what 60%. You can ask any coach right there. Getting players to buy in and believe and play as hard as they can for you as a coach, that's about 65% of your that's about 60 that about 65% of your success right there. I mean the rest is rest is, the rest is hard but getting them to play as hard and buying in 100% that's great coaching, that's great leadership and that's what Patrick Ewing and the Georgetown Hoyas the Georgetown Hoyas coach has. Wendell's World in Sports I'm your host Wendell Wallace so glad that you could be with us. Moving on to the NFL offseason, the important dates as I'm taking a look February 24th to March 2nd, the NFL Scouting Combine taking place in Indianapolis. A new schedule, of course, which is going to feature three primetime networks because, after all, I mean, hey, you've got the XFL and you've got college basketball and you've got hockey and you've got the NBA, right? You don't think that the highest rating as far as sports is concerned is going to be that NFL Combine? Yes, yes, yes. March 16th through the 18th, teams can begin negotiating contracts with pending unrestricted free agents. So ESPN's ranking of the top 50 players. You've got Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers, Ryan Tannehill, Dak Prescott, Jameis Winston. Just taking a look and thinking about the quarterback. So that's going to be in play. Then April 23rd to the 25th from the Bellagio Fountains in Las Vegas, Las Vegas. Players will ride a boat to the end of the red carpet among the Bellagio's Hotel Fame Foundation because that's when the draft is going to be. Should be interesting. As you know, we have a stadium off the I-15 headed down toward uh, Russell Road, and it's just past Tropicana Avenue where the hookers like to walk up and down the streets late at night and try to make their try to make their rent money. But in between that and Russell Road heading over to, um, heading over to the 215 headed toward Henderson, they're building that stadium, and it's looking good. It's coming along really well. The Raiders are supposed to be playing their next season, so they're going to have the draft and in Vegas. So very good. We appreciate that from a resident here. We love it. Bring it on down. Bring them on down. Put that money back into the community. We enjoy it. August 6th, the annual Hall of Fame game will be held at Canton, Ohio, with participants to be announced, to be announced later this season. So basically, we've got what? Before they start hitting people and this, that, and the other again, we've got seven months, something like that. So we've got another 200 plus days. Oh my goodness, how long are we going to survive without the NFL? You got the XFL, right? My boy Vinnie Mac, Landry Jones at the quarterback. Come on now. 
like I said before, man, I, I, and, they're, and they're talking about you know, a 17-game season. Like it's been reported by ESPN a couple of days ago that the NFL is thinking about having a 17-game season. The NFLPA's executive board is going to meet with the player representatives from all 32 teams to review a collective bargaining agreement. And that's one of the things that they're going to be talking about. And it's a situation where it's like, you know what? The owners are like, you know what? If we don't get the 17 games, we're going to lock you out when the contract ends after the 2020 season. Because if everything goes according to plan by the agents, this is going to be introduced in 20 for the 2021 season. So the owners want a quick answer. And it's like, hey, man, this is not something we're going to be dilly-dallying around. You give us a quick answer or be facing a work stoppage in 2021. So it's, uh, I, I've always said this before. The, the Really, I would like the NFL season to be 14 games myself. I know that there's been 16 games forever and ever, but I think each sport needs to contract as far as games are concerned. I think there's too many games in the NBA, and I love the NBA. I love it with all my heart and soul, but there's just way too many fucking games. 82 games is way too many. Hockey, you have 82 games. Baseball, you have 162 games. Football, you have 16 games. That's too many. Leave them wanting more. What's the matter? I love it. You know, someone said this to me the other day where they were like, you know, the day after the Super Bowl, more people take off from work. More people call in sick. They take their PTO. The day after the Super Bowl, either they're depressed because they lost their gambling bets and their team lost, or because they won their gambling bets and their team won, and they're going to go out and celebrate. So, it's a situation where you can miss a day because you're in mourning, or you can miss a day because you're in, you're 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 feeling in a fantastic mood. But that's the great thing about the NFL. When the NFL for is for me, I I don't want to see any more football. I don't want to see football in February, in March. Now the 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 business side of the NFL, when we're talking about the draft and we're talking about free agency, those things. Of course, I'm interested in. I'm, I'm interested to see if Drew Brees is going to come back or he's going to retire. I'm interested to see if Tom Brady is going to stay with the Patriots or go to another team. I'm interested to see if Philip Rivers is going to try to do the same thing since the Chargers don't want him anymore. It's going to be interesting to see what's going to be happening with Dak Prescott, especially when he turned down a contract by the Cowboys in which he was going to be paid somewhere around $33 million. I'm interested to see what team is going to be interested in Jameis, Jameis Winston. Those, those things and teams that are restructuring and trying to get better and who's going to be paying this and who's going to be going where. So that part of the NFL during the offseason, I enjoy and I'm going to be talking about. I'm interested, but I don't want to see any football games. I don't want to see any. I just don't want to do it. So for me, I would love to see the NFL end in, really, I would love to see the NFL end near the end of January, like it used to. If the end of January marked the end of the football season. That would be fine with me. And we start this bad boy up again in September. Fine with me. Always leave them. Always have them leaving. You know, leave them wanting more. That's what I always say. You know, you want people to be depressed when the football season's over. You want them to be yearning for more football. Because guess what? In the time frame between the end of the season and the beginning of the season, man, that's you build up that excitement. You build up that anticipation. And believe you me, a couple of weeks heading up to the football season, both college and pros, those are some boring weekends, man. Those are some boring times. When you're talking about, because I don't watch preseason, preseason football games. I just don't. There's no interest from me at all. But when you're talking about a situation where, man, that, that 
you're two weeks away and one week away. And that Thursday when college football starts, it's like it's like a Christmas. It's like your birthday. It's like a New Year's Day. It's like a time for celebration. Because, again, the last two weeks before the season starts, you are just bored to tears on the weekend. You go, go on vacation. Do things with your wife. Do things with your husband. Do things with your kids. Get all the honeydew stuff out of the way. Go ahead and take care of your chores. Because I know for me, once September starts, or once that Thursday night football game starts in college football, that's it. My Saturdays and Sundays are going to be occupied until February. So I've got September, October, November, December, January. So almost half the year, I can say that if you want to find me or you want to see what I'm doing on Saturdays and Sundays, you already know. I'm watching football, college and pro. So for me, February, March, April, May, June, July, it's just a chance for me just to recalibrate when it comes to my fandom for football. And for me, I'm lucky because for me, there is no dog days in the NBA. I love the NBA. So when the NBA has everything to itself because football is over, fine with me. I got an NBA game on. I don't need the league package. I wish I, I, wish I had it, but for a guy who has no life whatsoever, I would really have no life if I had the NBA package. But for me, you got NBA TV on Monday. You got the TNT games on Tuesday. You got the ESPN games on Wednesday. The TNT games on Thursday night. And then you got ESPN on Friday. And then you got NBA TV on Saturday. And you also got the Lakers playing on Sunday. And I've got the Lakers. I've got the Clippers that I can watch. So my my plate is always full when it comes to watching NBA basketball. So for me, I translate very easily when it comes to my love for the NFL football, the Super Bowl is over. I go into the Super Bowl talking about, whew, thank goodness it's the last game, man, because I'm ready for this season to be over. But by the end of August, I'm begging for the football season to start. So for me, for those guys to be talking about 17 games and they're talking about, well, you know, we'll just cut one of the exhibition games off and, you know, more money, more money, more money. And if I'm the players, I'm like, so if we go to 17 games, how much, what's, how is this going to affect the salary cap? Extra paycheck. How much more am I going to be making? How much more are you going to be generating? How much more are you going to be taking? How much are we going to be making? So all of those things have to go into play. But for me, no, nah, man, I would be happy if I'm the NFL to stick with 15 games. And really, if the NFL was really, really serious about players' health and long-term effects of playing the game of football, that they would go ahead <clears throat> and they would knock it down to 14 games, but we know that's definitely not going to happen. So I'm also interested to find out now because, of course, we're all going to be talking about exactly the quarterback position. What's going to be happening? What's going to be going down with Tom Brady? What's going to be going down with Drew Brees? What's going to be happening here, there, and the other? I'm going to be interested. That's going to be the story of the offseason. That's going to take effect whenever that happens. Tom Brady said that, you know what, I haven't made a decision yet on where I want to go or what I want to do. And Drew Brees is up there talking about, well, I'm either going to come back and play another season or I'm going to go ahead and uh, do the TV thing. So, um, you know, Drew Brees was at the Super Bowl, I guess, and he was kicking the tires and talking to some folks. I guess he saw what happened to Tony Romo and he was kind of like, yeah, you know what, hey, man. I wonder how many of these guys even see what Tony Romo, Romo was doing. And they say, well, shit, I could do that. 
I mean, you know, Tony Romo, he's doing this, that, and the other, but, you know, I mean, I'm Drew Brees. You're going to try to tell me that I don't, I can't study the game? I don't know the game? I've been playing the doggone thing for doggone 20 years, close to, as far as at the NFL level, and I come in next season, you're going to try to tell me that I'm going to be, I'm not going to be able to do the same thing similar to what Tony Romo is going to do? So, according to Jeff Duncan, the athletics Jeff Duncan, he met with network executives speaking about Brees this week, to explore a broadcasting career. The discussions were preliminary and Breeze is reportedly interested in joining the broadcast booth after he retires, when he retires. So, Bob Breeze, oh, I don't know the guy, I mean, I, I hate when these guys go, well, what she should do, I don't know what Drew Breeze is going to do. I don't know Drew Breeze. I bet you Drew Breeze doesn't even know what Drew Breeze is going to do. I don't know how his body feels when he gets up in the morning. I don't know his relationship with his wife and his kids. Maybe he wants to spend more time with them. Maybe it's a situation where he's like, hey, look, man, you know, my kids are getting older and I've already missed this birthday and I've already missed this point in their lives. And I mentioned before about the passing of Kobe Bryant and his daughter is like, you don't get those. There's no guarantee that you're going to have a strong relationship with your son because, or your daughter or your family because there's no guarantee of how long you're going to be living on this earth. We don't know how long Drew Brees has has got before he goes to the next stage of his life or whatever. We don't know how much time he has before he goes to the Lord in judgment day. So uh, it's a situation where he's kind of like, I don't want to play football anymore. Yeah, I know I'm still good. Yeah, I know I did this, and I know I did that, and I know our teeth were really good, and I know I've got these weapons, but you know, it's time for me to do something else. The preparing and everything like that. I don't know. I don't know. I can't put myself in, if I were Drew Brees, if I were Drew Brees right now, I would go back and play, but I'm not Drew Brees. So I don't know exactly what happened. Look, the past two seasons, he's been phenomenal. You're speaking about the 2018 in the 2019 season. He started 26 games. He's thrown for over 7,000 yards and 59 touchdowns and nine interceptions combined on 74% completion percentage. New Orleans is still one of the best teams in the league. They've gone 37-11 and 11 the last three years, 13-3 and three the last two. In fact, the last two playoff games, they've lost in overtime, the other on a fluke on the last play of the game. So they've lost two games in overtime, one to the Vikings, one to the Rams, and then... They lost um, on the last play of a game in the, in the, on a fluke that passed by whew, whew, Case Keenum throwing it to the, uh, Stephon Diggs. So, you know, New Orleans is still going to be right there. He still has that relationship as far as the quarterback coach is concerned with, with um, Sean Payton. Depending upon what happens with Belichick and Brady, that could slide into being the number one combo in the league. You still have Michael Thomas. You still have Alvin Kamara. You have a defense that's good enough to get get you to where you want to go. But again, I don't know. I, I have no idea about where he's going to be going, about what he wants to do. So it'll be interesting. Something telling me he'll come back, but I don't know. I have no idea. Same thing with Tom Brady. Now, Tom Brady trolling the trolls with the Hulu ad and the picture that he had on his Twitter account. Coming back next year, he's pretty adamant about him wanting to come back next year. The question is going to be where he comes back. Again, I don't know. Speculation, it would be great if he went to the Chargers. It would be great if he went to the Titans. It would be great if he went maybe to the Bears, a team that needs a quarterback. One of the narratives that I'm going to have to push back on is this, well, you know, the reason why New England didn't get to where they were this season only was because 
of the weapons that Tom Brady wasn't allowed to have. Or the reason why Tom Brady took a step back and he wasn't the quarterback that we all know and love was because of the weapons or lack of weapons, lack of offensive talent that he had. Now, yes, the fact that he didn't have the usual weapons played a role in him not having the type of year that he's had in years prior. But let's let's kind of hold off on the, yeah, if you gave him like elite talent at the wide receiver and running back positions that the New England Patriots would go 16-0, walk over everybody, and Tom Brady would still be an elite quarterback. Tom Brady at the age of 42, 43 years old, he's no longer an elite quarterback. What's my definition of an elite quarterback? He's not a top five guy anymore. That's my definition of an elite quarterback. He's not the type of guy anymore that's going to be able to put a team on his front, on his back and lead them to a championship. He can't take a pretty good offense with a bad defense and lead them to a championship. That Tom Brady is gone. That Tom Brady is not happening. Now, I don't think he's going to be Peyton Manning having to be hoisted by a very strong defense to win a Super Bowl. I, I, I think he's far from that. And I think that he's a guy, now if you take a look at it, at the age of 42, he's going to be 43 when he's going to be playing next season. I think Tom Brady is anywhere between the top, I'll say top 10, the top 15 quarterback. As if you consistently see where he's going to be going, I think that he's going to be somewhere around 10 to 15. There's going to be very few weeks next season where Tom Brady is going to look like the Tom Brady of old or the Tom Brady that, that we all know and love or Tom Terrific or anything like that. Those, those days, I think, are done and gone. But I think that he's going to be a guy that's going to be a he's going to be in that same range, say, as Jimmy Garoppolo. Everybody's talking about where they should... Not everybody, I'm sorry. But I saw this report talking about they need to get rid of Garoppolo and bring in Peyton and bring in Tom Brady. Really? Really? What kind of an upgrade is that gonna be? It's gonna be some, but is it gonna be enough to get them, have them win a Super Bowl? You're really going to sacrifice and mortgage your future over that? With sign Brady to what, a two year deal with uh, with a knocked out after one? I don't know. I don't know. One thing that we learned. We learned this I learned this when I saw Brett Farr play. And his last two seasons with the Minnesota Vikings, I saw this with Kobe Bryant, his last couple of seasons with the Los Angeles Lakers. One thing, when you reach that advanced age, and look, we don't know what a 43-year-old quarter, starting quarterback, whose expectations or whose responsibilities are to be one of the main reasons why they become an elite franchise or win a Super Bowl. We've never seen a quarterback at that age be put in that position. But there's one thing that I do know is the fact that I know, and I've seen this before, that when it ends for a player of that age and played that many seasons in the NFL, when it ends, it ends quickly. And a lot of times you don't even see it coming. It's like, wow, this this guy went from 75 to 25 really quick. There was no, he went from being 75% good to 68, then the 65, then the 59 then the 54, and now he's down at 51 to 49. No, no, no. When these guys fall, they fall off a cliff, and they do it pretty quickly. They do it pretty suddenly. So there's no guarantee whether whoever Tom Brady plays for next season, whether it be New England or anybody else, we don't know. We don't We don't know. And I think the foolishness of some people to say, well, all you needed to do was just put some B-level talent around him and Tom Brady can do the rest. I don't think that's the case anymore. And look, with the talent that they had, the Patriots still went, what, 13-3 and three or 12-4 and four or some nonsense like that? So this wasn't something where they finished the season 5 or 11-6 or, or 10 or anything like that. But a lot of that had to do with the defense. A lot of that had to do with the defense carrying the offense. 
And a lot of it had to do with Tom Brady just didn't have a good season. And by, by Tom Brady's standards. So I think we need to recalibrate and redefine what is the true definition of Tom Brady having a good season. Because the Tom Brady at 43 years old having a good season is a lot different than the Tom Brady of 34, 35, 30, 36, even 37. So we don't know. The best that we can get out of Tom Brady. Is it a situation where he goes to the Rams? Excuse me. Where he goes to the Chargers? Who knows? It'll be interesting to see what happens. 43 years old. Moving forward. But uh, that'll be down the line. And again, there's speculation. I'm quite sure. I am quite sure. Maybe with the exception of the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm quite sure there's going to be a story or something or a rumor mill or chatter or something about Tom Brady, Brady being linked to almost every team in the league. I bet you. Oh, he was seen in Oakland. Well, he, he was, you know, he was at the uh, USC event, the Conor McGregor event. Oh, well, obviously, maybe he's checking out the opportunity to play for the Raiders. Raiders. You see him say hello to Mark Davis. Maybe there's something going on there. I mean, you know, during the vacation, Tom Brady was spotted in Seattle. Well, maybe there's something where he wants to usurp Russell Wilson. I don't know. I mean, you know, people can read into anything. You know, he they can read into anything. Who knows? Who knows? Tom Brady. Was in, was in Australia, and the most Australians who live in the United States live in Houston, Texas. Does that mean that Tom Brady, you know, enough, enough. So it'll be interesting, but the NFL offseason is now getting started. I'm excited for that. I'm relieved that my Sundays are free again to do whatever I want to do because the NFL season's over, but I'll be watching. I'll be watching what's going down with the NFL draft and what's going to be happening with Joe Burrow and what's going to be happening with Tua Tungabailoa and my Washington and my Washington Snyder skins, my Washington Ron Rivera skins going out and getting them themselves Chase Young. God, please don't, please don't fuck this up. Oh, I, I feel better because there's no more George Allen. But a lot of things going on in the offseason to keep us busy for all you football lovers. And on this podcast, Wendell's World in Sports with yours truly, Wendell Wallace, you will be getting my thoughts and opinions about those things. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Uh, NBA, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit on this because the NBA trade deadline. I'm just going to spend about five minutes of this because i got to get out of here. I want to go get ready to uh, watch myself some John Jones. But I'll be talking about this a little bit later on on my podcast, talking about what went down as far as the NBA trade, de- trade deadline news. Minnesota Timberwolves, they finally get their man in D'Angelo. No, not the singer, D'Angelo Russell. Uh, league sources tell ESPN Adrian Wojnarowski the Golden State Warriors have agreed to trade D'Angelo Russell to the Minnesota Russells. D'Angelo Russell to the Minnesota Timberwolves in a deal that included Andrew Wiggins. The Warriors is going to get Warriors will get a 2021 protected first round draft pick and a 2022 second round pick. 
We'll also send Jacoby, Jacob Evans and Omari Spellman to the Timberwolves. Andre Drummond going to Cleveland. Detroit's going to receive Brandon Knight, John Henson, and a second-round pick. Memphis finally traded Andre Iguodala to Miami. They also sent out Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill in the deal, speaking about the, uh, yeah. So Miami will send Justice Winslow, Deion Waiters, and James Johnson. No picks were involved in the deal. Also, in the trade for the Timberwolves, or with the Timberwolves in the heat, they sent Gorgie Ding to Memphis in exchange for Johnson, the Clippers, the Knicks, the Wizards agreed on a three-man, three-team trade. It's going to send Marcus Moore Sr., Isaiah Thomas, to the Clippers. The Clippers then released IT. That's Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. Jerome Robinson will join the Wizards, while the Knicks will receive Mo Harkless, the 2020 first-round draft pick, according to the sources. And then, of course, you had the, what, four-team deal? Between the Hawks and the Nuggets in Houston and Minnesota, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, the Hawks received Clint Capella and Nene from the Houston Rockets. Denver received uh, Gerald Green, Shabazz Napier, Noah Vonley, Houston's 2021st round draft pick. The Rockets, Houston Rockets, received Jordan Bell, Robert Covington, Golden State's 2024 second round pick. Minnesota receives Malik Beasley, Juan Herman Gomez. Evan Turner, Jared Vanderbilt, Brooklyn's 2021st round pick. A lot of stuff there. A lot of stuff to repack. I saw them play on Thursday up the uh, up in Mesquite in my hotel room. Saw the game between L.A. and Houston. Well, Russell Westbrook had 40-something points. Man, look how Russ, Russell Westbrook is trying to play like a miniature Giannis Adenokupo or a better version of Ben Simmons. No more three-pointers for that guy. He is putting his head down. He's trying to get to the rim, and he's doing it with some ferocity, I guess. Oklahoma City is saying, you couldn't do that like years ago when you're jacking up six three-point shots a game and averaging only like 25%, but Westbrook played well in that game. That was, a, that was a good game. I know people hate how Houston plays, but Robert Covington, so basically Houston's just saying, fuck it, we're just going to go small, and I guess this is really the last hurrah for Mike D'Antoni and Daryl Morey. I mean, there's already enough, I, I, I bet you, because the salary cap went down a little bit, and don't think that's not because, not the main reason, or not maybe the top one reason, but don't think that Moray's comments insulting China like that didn't play a part in the salary cap going down because they're still not showing, I think one of the networks that showed a lot of Houston Rockets games and NBA games, they're still not showing NBA games, or they're doing it on a different platform, or something like that. They're doing it in a way that's hurting their bottom line. And uh, you start hurting people's bottom line. You start hurting billionaires' bottom line, which is money. Yeah, man, you, you might have to be going. So I guess Moray's going to be like, fuck it. If I'm going out, I'm going to be going out my way. I've lived in the NBA, a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. Oh, much more, much more than this. Going with small balls, shooting a lot of three-pointers and going without a center and doing it. My way, James Harden, you bearded bitch. You better shoot better than you did in January. Robert Covington, West Russell Westbrook. I need you guys to play with some hunger. If you don't make it out of the second round, me and Mike D'Antoni will be fired. So I'll say it clear, I'm going out my way. 
little Billy Eckstein at the end. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, God, I amused myself. It must be, it, we must be nearing the two-hour mark for me to be doing some stupid shit like that, right? Okay, okay, so basically, um, yeah, so they're going to be, Houston's going to be going small ball, and we'll see what happens. How about Memphis? You know, everybody's talking about Memphis, the trade that they made to get Justice Winslow, and the fact that they had to take on the contract of Deion Waiters and James Johnson, and that gives them a, really not a good grade because they're sacrificing their salary cap to go ahead and take the contract of Waiter and James Johnson for the opportunity to get rid of Iguodala and to get Justice Winslow. And I, I say this, man. I mean, I'm, I'm with Danny Ainge. What does cap space really mean? If you're the Lakers, if you're the Clippers, if you're a marquee team, I mean, if you had competent organization from the front and you had, you know, with the New York Knicks or the Brooklyn Nets, you know, okay, cap space means something. If you're Pat Riley and the Miami Heat, okay, cap space means something. When your squad's like the Memphis Grizzlies, the Utah Jazz, the Sacramento Kings, the Indiana Pacers, the Milwaukee Bucks, when you're talking about cities like that, who cares about cap space? You know, when you have a whole bunch of cap space and they're talking about, you know, in a couple of years, after the 2021 season, Giannis Adenokupo is going to be a free agent, right? So people are like, you don't want to sacrifice your cap space now. You want to save it and try to get as much money as possible. So when Giannis becomes a free agent, you'll be in a position to sign him to the max. Well, number one, there really hasn't been any indication that Adenokupo wants to leave the Milwaukee Bucks. He's been like, you know, I want to win, I want to win, I want to win. But he hasn't made any type of ultimatum by saying, if I don't win a championship this year, I'm definitely going to be getting out of here. He, hadn't done, he hasn't done himself a Kawhi Leonard or an Anthony Davis yet. So this notion, this assumption that when Giannis's contract is up, that he's going to be looking to go to L.A. or Miami or anything like that is kind of, I would say, preposterous, especially when he says that, you know what, I'm a guy, this was early in his career, so you know, maybe times have changed when you win an MVP and you become the face of the league and you're on the Boost commercials and you're on the soda drinking commercials and you're TNT's favorite boy. You know, I can understand that maybe as you grow older, who knows, your girlfriend or somebody or his family or something like that might say, hey, you know what, especially in January and February when it's 15 degrees below zero in Milwaukee and they're sitting up there in pine trees, or excuse me, pine trees, and palm trees and beautiful weather in Miami or Los Angeles that he might be swayed to go ahead and maybe have a change of venue, similar to what Kareem Abdul-Jabbar did when he was back with being Lou Alcindor, and he was like, you know what, Milwaukee's fine, but, you know, I've got myself hooked up with a, with this mob called the Nation of Islam, and I'm, like, way too deep into this, and I'm living in fucking Milwaukee, where it's like, I don't know, 15 degrees below zero for like six months out of the year. Get me the hell out of here. I want to go to D.C. I want to go to New York or I want to go to L.A. So, you know, maybe like Kareem, maybe after a few years of Milwaukee, maybe Giannis has the same inclination, even though he said before, I don't want to go to L.A. I like Milwaukee. I like towns like this. So I'm comfortable here. I'm happy here. I'm happy with the organization. Times change, people change. So we'll see what happens. But again, to go on the assumption that, you know, by the end of his contract, that Giannis is going to be looking to bold, I find it foolhardy. But getting back to this whole deal about Memphis and them giving up the cap space, nobody of any value, of any marquee value, is going to be going to Memphis. 
I don't care how much money you have to offer. I don't care how much cap space that you have. The LeBron James type, the Anthony Davis type, the Giannis Dedenikupo types, the Kawhi Leonard types, those guys aren't going to Memphis on their own free will. I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, Stack Studios, I love it. Yeah, all the, wonderful. I'm quite sure the, the, the scenery out there is great. And when you're super rich, let me tell you something, man. When you're super rich and you got the type of money that a max player in the NBA is, is, is making, you can live anywhere and it's going to be super nice because you'll have the biggest house. You can have yourself to get five or six cars. And you, if you need to import bitches over to be uh, having fun with and all those type of things, you have the ability to do that. So I don't care if it's Sacramento or Indiana or wherever, man. I mean, if you're rich, any place is going to be nice. But would you rather be rich single in LA or would you rather be rich single in Milwaukee? So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But that's basically where cap space for those type of teams, they mean nothing. So if it means taking on a Deion Waiters and a James Johnson and forfeiting all of your cap space, that's, that's fine. Especially if you get the guy that you want because you're not getting a top tier free agent. As long as you don't have to give up draft picks. If you're one of these small market teams like Memphis, then who cares if your cap space for 2021 is going to be jeopardized. So for me, I mean, look, Memphis is, is a team that's very interesting. I mean, they drafted it just in one season. They drafted Job ja Morat to go with Jaron Jackson Jr. They traded Mike Connolly for Jade Crowder, which turned out to be, you know, uh, which turned out to be a situation where they could have used that to get the man they want, Justice Winslow. They acquired Andre Iguodala and then traded him to get Justice Winslow, the guy that they want. So I'm sorry. I, I think that this is a positive. I think it's a real positive what the what the Memphis Grizzlies are doing. So I don't understand that one. Golden State getting Andrew Wiggins. Yeah, man, I don't know. Man, I guess, I don't know when you think about that because we talk about culture and the Golden State culture and New England Patriots culture and the New York Yankees culture and you can fit a guy in there and he's going to be able to play a lot better and this, that, and the other. And look, who knows, man? I mean, the expectations now for Andrew Wiggins are so much different. When he was drafted by Cleveland and then traded to Minnesota, and then especially after the Timberwolves got Carl Anthony Towns, he was going to be the one-two guy. I mean, he was supposed to be the same deal as Kobe and Shaq, or Kobe or Scorby, or Kobe and Pal Gasol, or Shaq and Dwayne Wade. I mean, he was supposed to be that guy. They were supposed to be that type of tandem, which means win basketball games, a lot of them, win playoff series, and be one of the elite teams that vie for championships. Well, Andrew Wiggins didn't play his role. He he just didn't play the part of that role. And that's not Andrew. We found out that despite the fact that he has ungodly athleticism and the fact that when he was even a junior in Huntington Prep, where he played at Huntington Prep in West Virginia, he was the number one player. And they were talking about his family, family having good bloodlines. His father, Mitchell Wiggins, played in the NBA. And I think his mother ran track. And so, I mean, he was an uber. He still is an uber athletic guy. And... This guy was supposed to be the person who was going to take over from LeBron and Adidas was going to spend a whole bunch of money on this guy and blah, blah, blah. And it just never really materialized. So that that Andrew Wiggins is not happening. We misjudged Andrew Wiggins on that. Maybe now in a situation where he goes to the Golden State Warriors where it's Clay, where it's uh, Steph Curry's team, where Clay Thompson's going to be coming back, where I'm quite sure Dre... Draymond Green, I'm quite sure a few times, is going to test his manhood during the season. 
It's going to be very quickly. I think Andrew Wiggins is going to learn on no uncertain terms that either I play hard or else I'm going to get my ass kicked every night. Or either I play hard or else I'm going to get a, I'm going to get in a fight every night. Not with the other guy, but with my teammate Draymond Green. Because Draymond is not going to allow Andrew Wiggins to play with the intensity, the lack of intensity, the lack of passion that he played with when he was playing in Minnesota. So we'll see what happens. Again, this is, this is a guy, empty calorie type of basketball player on offense, averaging 22.5 points per game, five rebounds, three assists, shooting 44% from the field, 33% from the three-point line. And this season, look, his scoring field goal percentage, three-point attempts, free throw attempts, rebounds, assists, they're all up from this year. So if you're taking a look at a glass half full perspective, okay, and maybe again, you get around that culture and maybe it brings something out of him. And again, he's, he can be the fourth best player. Look, on most nights, we just need you to be the fourth best player. And on some nights, if you want to step up and be the second or third, you have the ability to do that. But that's not what we're asking you to do. And I think maybe for Wiggins, maybe that's something that will trigger him to, uh, to play better or to do better. Who knows? Who knows? Well, a lot of times when you're not shackled with the bird, burden of being the guy or being the face of the franchise and the fact that you can go two for 12 or the fact that you cannot have a, a, a you cannot have a great game and if Steph goes one for 10 from the three-point line or if Clay misses a lot of shots or if Draymond gets a technical and go off that, you know, you're not going to be the center of attention or you're not going to be the main person that they're going to blame on a nightly, nightly basis as he was in Minnesota. Maybe that's something as far as the mentality for Andrew Wiggins is something that he needs. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Let me end with this. Clippers, Milwaukee, good for them. Milwaukee, you know, despite the fact that, despite the, despite the fact of all the moves Miami made, Miami right now are 34 and 16, fourth place in the Eastern Conference as I'm recording this. I don't know if this gets them any closer to Milwaukee. Milwaukee looked really good against Philadelphia on Thursday. They really did. Giannis is uh, playing well. And the great thing about Miami is the fact that they didn't have to give up their young core when they got Iguodala. They didn't have to trade Tyler Hero or Kendrick Nunn or Duncan Robinson. They didn't give up any draft picks. So moving forward, Pat Riley has his plan in motion, not his backfield, but his plan in motion. So for the long term, but in the short term, I don't think that they got close enough to Milwaukee for them to be a major threat. I, uh, I really don't. Philadelphia, I don't know. What, I don't know what's going on with them. That's that's a podcast for another subject, because uh, they're they're Tarzan on the they're Tarzan at home and Jane on the road, in terms of their success level. So who knows? Who knows? So I'll save all that stuff for later. It is about time for me. I'm going to shower. I am going to uh, get on my my stuff, and I am going to go to Buffalo Wild Wings because I got a fight to watch, baby. I got John Jones to watch, baby. I want to see what he does against Dominic Reyes. See what happens after that. If he beats Dominic Reyes, where exactly does he go? Does he move up now to heavyweight, as he was been mentioning? Because Stipe and Daniel still have to dance. So is Stipe doing the thing where it's like, I'm going to make Daniel wait a little bit longer? What's going to be more lucrative, a matchup between John Jones and Stipe, or a trilogy fight between Cormier and Miosic? And the style bender, Israel Alasanya, still yapping. Hey, look, young fella. He's not really young. He's, he's, uh, he's older than you think. 
But this man's up there still talking shit about John Jones. Look, man, unless you're going to go up to 205 to fight this guy, shut the fuck up. I mean, don't be talking shit and then be like, well, you know, I'm not going to fight him yet. No, come on, man, get out of here. When Ali was talking shit about something, at least, in the, listen, at least he was, he was, he was hankering for a fight. Don't be talking shit about John Jones. He's scared of me. He's in, the, I'm in his head and all this kind of shit. So are you going to fight him? No, I'm going to wait for a little while. There's some fights in middleweight I got to, I got to do first. That's bullshit, man. That's bullshit. Guy is an awesome fighter. And the guy is a breath of fresh air for the UFC. It's too bad that he's black and was over there in New Zealand. The fact that the UFC can't do more with him to uh, introduce him to the casual sports fans, kind of like what they did with Conor McGregor. Because Adesanya, he's got the skill, he's got the charisma, he's got the fighting style to be an international superstar. But, you know, they're focusing on Conor McGregor and all this other shit. But like I mentioned before, when you're a black man living in New Zealand or Australia, and, you know, there's only so many things that the UFC is going to do for you to try to get your name out there. So I get it. I understand it. Don't like it. But, uh, yeah, young fella, you know, when you're talking about John Jones, if you're going to be talking shit about John Jones, unless you're going to fight that man or fight him within the next six to 12 months, don't want to hear it. I do not want to hear it. So that is the end of the podcast. I want to thank you very much for listening. Another podcast is coming out soon where I'll be talking about my Georgetown Hoyas 76 72 victory over DePaul, baby. Talk a little bit more about what's going down in the NBA. Talk about UFC, this UFC fight. So never worry, never fear. Wendell Wallace and Wendell's, uh, <laughs> never worry, never fear. Wendell Wallace and Wendell's World in Sports podcast will soon be here. Music. <laughs>